The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. On episode number seven of the Marine Layer podcast with TJ Matthewson and Lyle Goldstein. On today's pod, Jeff Passan kicked up the hornet's nest of M's Twitter with some comments he made on Seattle Sports Radio in the past week. There's some interesting things to look at with that. We'll each pick out a present to put under the Mariners tree this Christmas. Our free agent profile of the week is former White Sox outfielder A.J. Pollock. We'll take a look around baseball with our MLB wraparound. Some complications, some new complications in the Carlos Correa saga with his 13-year deal with the San Francisco Giants, among others. Carlos Rodon, now a New York Yankee. We'll close out the show with Speak Your Mind. With that, let's get it rolling. And we welcome you into this episode number seven of the Marine Layer podcast on Tuesday, December 20th, the final episode before Christmas. Dog, how are we doing? I'm doing great. I meant to bring this up last week, so I'm going to bring this up now to start the show. Baseball Reference came up with their yearly raft of most searched player in every state. Who was the most searched player in the state of Hawaii? Your fun fact of the day, Dylan more how that happened i couldn't tell you but he's taking it right to the bank so why did you not print it out there's some like i see blue space on your wall behind you why is it not up there you're like hey my guy's number one in something he's number one in something i think that needs to be a thing he's number one in my heart and number one in the state of hawaii you're right i'm gonna have to give myself that christmas present i'll hang it up right back here on the wall that's crazy needs to get framed a nice frame, maybe with his head sort of somewhat transparent in the background, sort of like, you know, that, that like a meme, like kind of joking, kind of looking behind that. I think that would be good. I, I wasn't expecting that. I mean, there, there there's some diff, some interesting ones uh, in that. I was not expecting Dylan Moore in Hawaii. I mean, he doesn't have any connection there, does he? No, he went to school at UCF, like pretty much as far away from Hawaii as you can get. That's going to be a good question to ask. I, I don't know. That was, uh, I'm glad you're hanging on to that because as soon as we see that, I'm like, I'm thinking of you instantly when <laughs> Dylan Moore pops up in literally anything. And I'm sure you, you just jumped out of your chair and, and we're screaming around, mom, look, it's Dylan Moore. <laughs> uh, I was fired up. What do you want me to do? And now, now you're making you're you're talking up all the makings for a great Christmas present. I mean, we're gonna gift wrap the Mariners some Christmas presents later, but you're already giving me the perfect idea for a Christmas present right for myself here. In terms of baseball moments of your career, where does that rank? Somewhere on the Mount Rushmore, has to. So you winning a state title, Dylan Moore being named mayor of Hawaii. Yeah, and then Cal Raleigh. Having or Cal Raleigh hitting his walk off home run after that. That's third. Right. I, I think that's good. <laughs> I think that's a that's a, that's a good list. And I did does Jared round out the uh Jared's three hit game in a second game round out the top four? 
Yeah, that sounds about right. That's pretty close. Pretty close. That's Adam Frazier's in there somewhere too with his uh, his hit in Game Two against the Blue Jays this past fall. Okay, let's get to some actual content. We do promise we have some content for this uh, this episode. It's been a slow couple of weeks for the Mariners in general, so we're sort of in the the rumor dissection part of the off season with you know not used to the Mariners being this quiet for this long. There's definitely been some content, but no uh, physical transactions. So we literally just have to cling on to words. And that's what we're going to do. We look at this first segment. ESPN's Jeff Passan went on Seattle Sports Radio this past week and said some things, to say the least. There's there's a lot to look into when looking uh, at Jeff Passan's wording. But it, it's sort of bat- onto our conversation from last week is how the Mariners are handling this offseason. And Passon's comments were more towards how the fans are judging this offseason towards the team. And he used some words I didn't really like. Um, I'm just going to kick it off here where Jeff Passon says Mariners fans are spoiled, which was probably a poor use of words on Jeff's part because I really think that 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 in terms of kicking up the hornet's nest, that, I mean, he's like shaking it and putting it on top of his head. And then going like this is like ah, he was really that that was that was uh that was definitely a choice uh, choice word there from Jeff. It was and spoiled probably isn't the right word to use only because when you look at the Mariners' body of work in their resume, they obviously do not do not stack anywhere close to the top of baseball. They're probably just about at the bottom considering they're the only team to never make a World Series. They've had two different nineteen plus year droughts. So the choice of words wasn't great, but I will say I do understand where his general point was stemming from. Somewhat. So his full thing there was you're just you're spoiled and greedy right now. I think most fans are greedy and only few teams actually feed the greed of their fans. So, you know, maybe that second part is right. But as we talked about last week, we're not going to get into last week's conversation. If you want to go check out our short form stuff, YouTube shorts, Instagram reels, TikTok. I mean, I think we cut up a lot of our best stuff with that. Or if you want to go back to and listen to last week's episode number six, we talked about it for about 20 minutes of how the Mariners are handling this offseason. And Lyle and I seem to be on a just probably a different page with how exactly they're handling this offseason. I mean, we look at where... Uh, when I hop in the car to drive home today, Brandon Drury signs a two-year, $17 million deal. A utility player plays infield and outfield and a right-handed hitter. <laughs> Something that the Mariners said, and Jerry DePoto was like, oh, we could use someone like that. And, you know, another one's off the market. But anyways, back to these comments. I mean, uh, a couple things he throws out there when he when he's there on the on 710. It's like there's this in quote, I'm going to quote him directly. There's this disease that happens with sports fans that's accompanied with winning. It's delusions of grandeur. The idea that once you've started winning, every single thing you do needs to be focused on perpetuating that winning. I think we can call it like San Diego Padre itis, which I think is pretty accurate based on the Padres, you know, signing big contract after big contract after big contract especially with, you know, their moves to go get Soto and uh, and Xander Bogarts. But he's also pointing out to the fact that we've never once seen three teams spend 400 plus million dollars in a single offseason with two more closing in on that mark 
as we speak. And some people expect the Mariners to be spending $400 million. Well, that just isn't realistic. The Mariners aren't going to spend $400 million in one offseason. Even when their payroll was toward the top 10 of the league, they weren't doing that. That's where my issue stems from all of this is, yes, did Jeff Passan maybe cross the line to, in some people's eyes when he said fans are spoiled? Sure. But the line that really resonated with me is when he said some of the thinking and the takes have really been outlandish this offseason. That I agree with. If you even spend five seconds on Mariners Twitter, it is outlandish. I mean, it's okay if people want to pick their battles and there's certain guys they really want, but you will see the contingent of Mariners Twitter just unleash their fury after every single free agent is signed, including this afternoon with Brandon Drury. It happened again. It happened the other day with Justin Turner, who has no positional fit on this team. The Mariners have a great third baseman. So that's where I start to roll my eyes is if you want a Carlos Correa or a Trey Turner, sure. But when after every single bat signs somewhere else and everybody wants to scream about it, that's where I kind of have to draw my line. I was like, this is getting a little ridiculous. And he does put it into context. It's easy to forget about the Julio contract, the Castillo contract, trading for Teoscar Hernandez or trading for Colton Wong, signing Trevor Gott. I mean, I'm not seriously putting Trevor Gott in there as <laughs> someone that you, you, you're amping this off season up on. But again, I'm just going to take the side of there's a lot of talk about what, you know, we, we talk about things in steps per se. Let's, let's do this. Let's, let's, let's get into this, right. Where you talk about, you, you take a step forward, right. With every, every off season. So the Mariners in 2021 take a step. And then this season they take a step into the playoffs. And then, you know, this next year you're like, okay, what is a step? 95 wins, 97 wins. That's a step that's showing your, your progress. And what you've said if they win 95, 97 games and don't sign another bat the rest of this offseason, then what are we complaining about? But, you know, now we we can only spe- speculate at this time of what of what actually is going to happen because they haven't played any games yet with this current group of guys. I just think there's a lot of reason to believe there's going to be improvement from a lot of guys on this team between Julio should get even better, Cal Raleigh could get even better, Eugenio Suarez could honestly get even better. Just to name a few, George Kirby is another. Also, if you look at the way the playoffs have been trending in the last few years, I'm not saying the Mariners should shoot to win 88 games. But a lot of the postseason, as we've learned throughout our lifetimes and really in the last handful of seasons, it's really just all about who's hot. Nobody expected the Phillies to get to the World Series this past year. Nobody expected the Nationals to win in 2019. Nobody really expected the Braves to win in 2021. Those teams all got hot. The Mariners could finish second in their division again and just get hot in the postseason. That could have happened here in 2022. They just ran into the best team in baseball. So could they beat the Astros in a best-of-five series? They could. It's going to be tough. But I, I, you know, I think, like we talked about last week, that splashing on all these free agents does not always equate to titles. So he was asked about uh, about the free agent signing. He says his first instinct goes, um, you know, when he said 
the the question was asked to him, should Seattle have made any of these superstar signings? Like his first instinct always goes towards starting pitching because in the end, that is what wins in the playoffs. That's what holds up over the course of a season is who's healthiest on the mound and in the bullpen. And he says, he looks at the Mariners rotation. He's like, yeah, well, I think they're pretty well set there. I would also agree. My next big thing goes towards power. And I would say, yeah, they do have pretty good. They have a good amount of power, but I think they would have been better if they went after Turner Correa or Bogarts. And yet, would you have done any of those three deals? And Passon was like, probably not. I know you agree. I mean, me, if if I think it from a strictly fan perspective that I don't have to pay out of pocket, I'm like, well, maybe, sure. But knowing how the Mariners front office thinks, it's like, well, I know they're not going to do it. So I don't know why I'm going to waste my time thinking they're going to do it. So just, you know, a number of things. And that was, you know, among the more reasonable things he said when he was on there. But, you know, you think about it. I mean, <laughs> 300 million is a lot of money and 11 years is a long time to be on a roster. Not every team would be willing to take Cano's contract off the books for you. Thank you, Mets. Um, to, to, to bail you out of a long contract. And another thing to put into perspective is, you know, we've, we talked last week about Jerry's, um, Jerry's positional player signings, those long contracts that were all in the Mariners books were not signed under Jerry DePoto, which I always, I usually forget that. Yeah. I know he was hired at the end of 2015, but even though he inherited those players, he didn't sign them. I mean, Cruz signed for a year and then that whole front office, managerial group, Lloyd McClendon, Jack Z all got canned <laughs> with that. So that's all inherited stuff. It is, but look at all the contracts that were signed before DePoto got here, like which groups had more success. Th- that's what I can't get about some of these Mariners fans. And that's why I kind of agree with Passon when he's saying some of the takes have been outlandish because what Mariners fans basically want is to go back to 2005, which if you remember the 2005 Mariners, they bring in Adrian Beltre, almost won the MVP. They bring in Richie Sexton. That's big pop. Ichiro's in his prime. Everybody's happy. This team's going to be unbelievable. Oh, wait, they won less than 70 games. Like, I'm just saying, right? everybody wants to shell out all this money and thinks that's the perfect solution. Like, end all, be all. You go get Trey Turner, lock it in. This team's going to be perfect. And yes, Trey Turner would objectively make them better. But look at back when they spent all that money. Was that equating to success in Seattle? No. We'll move on to our next topic here in a second. But just one last thing on, on his comments here, Lyle. The question of the, do the Mariners have to operate like a mid-market team and the answer to that is absolutely not, and the Padres are proving it all, right? You look at the Padres, that is an outlier amongst all outliers of mid-market teams. The Padres are, what, the 23rd market in, in baseball, right? You think about their their quote-unquote market is like a, uh, you know, 90, uh, you know, 45 miles up from the, from the Mexico border, north in California, and then over into like the desert of Arizona, that's essentially their market. That's all they have. And they're still out here handing out these in unbelievable contracts. So they're showing that if there's someone there willing to spend that money in a mid-market, you absolutely can do it. Any references to the Mets? The Mets now have, you know, Steve Cohen uh, with their payroll and such. And now I, the Mets signed Ottavino today. So they have, I think their payroll's up to about $360 million, which is just absolutely bonkers to think about. But 
he clarified when it was the Mariners payroll. He says, okay, listen, it is increasing every year. That is a fact. It increased from 20 to 21 and then 21 to 22 and has increased again from 22 to 23. However, if the Mariners payroll stays stagnant and does not grow, then you have a legitimate gripe, which makes sense. And I agree with, right? Their, their payroll has gone up. I think it could go up more. You think it could go up more. Everyone thinks it could go up more, but it has still gone up about you know $30 million from where it was last year at this point, which is good, right? $30 million is a significant amount. And you would expect as the team gets better and, you know, hopefully one of these years while they're good, they get 3 million people in the, in the doors at, at T-Mobile park and they can really use that revenue. But right. If it stagnates, then we have more legitimate beef and we would revisit this next off season. If the payroll doesn't go up over time, yes, there's a reason to be mad. And just one final reminder, we're talking about the Mets. I seem to recall the Mariners having their season lost last a little bit longer than the Mets did. Mets lost in the wild card round. Seattle didn't. It's just perspective. I'm, I'm not saying I'd be mad if they spent all this money. I'm just saying the reaction on Twitter and the reaction among Mariners fans this days, these days, it does seem like a little much. But everybody's entitled to their own opinion. We have some opinions. On where the Mariners could go from here. It's Christmas time. We're going to stay Christmas themed here on the show this week. Because when you look at the free agent market that's left. There are still some bats out there. There are still some ways for this Mariners team to get better. So in the holiday spirit. TJ and I are going to each pick a present to put under the Mariners tree. For how they can improve the roster for the upcoming season. We each pick different scenarios. And I'll throw it to you first TJ. What is Mm -hmm. your Christmas present to the Seattle Mariners? So mine, I'm think I'm sitting here thinking last night when I'm prepping for this show. It's like really, what would make the Mariners most happy? I'm looking through the list of free agents, and like we've talked about, the free agent list right now is really barren. And I'm like thinking of a trade. I'm like, well, there's some obvious trades we've already thrown around, but I don't know if I want to really regurgitate one of those because I like some more fresh content here. So then I'm looking within the organization of what I think would be best for the Mariners and what would make the Mariners most happy. And it, and it just kind of clicked. I mean, how happy would the Mariners be if Matt Brash turned into, into a, a decent to good fifth starter for this upcoming season? Think of how much that clears up the Mariners roster if you have Brash slide into that fifth spot and look really, really good. Think about that. That would be great. Chris Flexen is serviceable. Marco Gonzalez is serviceable. But if Matt Brash turned into the starter that they thought he could be in the minors, that is a rotation that is absolutely lethal. Matt Brash in the minors, we go back to 2021 when he was in double A. Again, his double A is not the major leagues, but in 2021 in double A as a starter, for the Arkansas Travelers, Matt Brash had a 2-1-3 ERA and a 3-2-5 FIP in 55 innings as a starter. In the, you know, now last level of the minors that players usually go to before they're called up to the big leagues. Unless you're, you know, a unique case of needing to go play in AAA. A lot of guys will make the jump straight from AA, and that's what Matt did. So, you know, he's proven he can, he, uh, he pitched, a, uh, I think, a little bit under 100 innings that year. But, you know... His walk rate was a little bit under four walks per nine, which for a guy with his mechanics is serviceable. But the strikeout stuff was really good uh, there as well. 
we saw in the big leagues this year, this past year when he was a starter, there's a couple of problems. He was getting crushed, but more importantly, his fastball was getting absolutely obliterated. So we saw him this offseason working on a cutter, which I think helps out with his ability to start because it's sort of a, it's a different shape than his fastball. I went looking into his fastball numbers and his fastball numbers, even as a reliever, were not great. I mean, it's, it's sort of a flat fastball with not too much life on it. As hard as he throws it and as violent as it is, it's not the, you know, extra life fastball on it that you hear. Like it has that great backspin on it that makes guys swing under it. It's more of a, just sort of a flat fastball. And that's why guys were crushing it so much. So when you can add a different shape in terms of a cutter, it helps out a lot. And most importantly for a guy who doesn't, really have a change up. He threw eight change ups this past year. That cutter will help him get lefties out and go through the lineup more than one time, which is important for a starter. I felt like Brash's issue as a starter was more about command than getting hit around. It never felt like he really got crushed around when he was in a starter's role. I thought it was more just he had to throw more strikes. I think that's the biggest key, right? Like, obviously, you want your fastball to have life on it. But if you throw it as hard as Brash does, you can still get swings and misses. And when you get into triple digits, yes. But when you're only going, you know, 96, 97 as a starter, that's more hittable. You know, guys see velocity all the time now. They do. They do. But when you, I guess, when you complement it with that slider he has, which is a straight wiffle ball, as it's been called, those two pitches are why he profiled so well in the bullpen. Usually you need three to start. There are some unique cases like Tyler Glass now who can get away with having two pitches. But if Brash is going to learn this cutter and he can refine some of his command, that would be great. I mean, it's easy to forget. He looked better than George Kirby did as a starter in spring training. Even though Kirby had the much better year, Brash outdueled Kirby for that final spot in spring training. He just kind of lost his command when the season rolled around. His command looked good in the spring. I don't see any reason why with another year and another offseason under his belt, why he can't figure it all out. So Brash, when he went to the bullpen, a two thrive, uh, excuse me, a two, three, five ERA and 30 and two thirds innings, 43 strikeouts when he, you know, he, he took his little hiatus down to triple A, came back up. And then when he was in the bullpen, he was really good, man, on that game three, Lyle, he was unbelievable out of the bullpen. That was that was so much fun watching him there at T-Mobile Park. But if he's a starter, right, you, he refines his command a little bit. I don't know how much of a mechanics tweak he'll need to make because I, I know people don't love his mechanics, and there's a reason people project him to the bullpen because it's not, it's not really a, a smooth, consistent delivery, which a lot of starters need. If you watch George Kirby, it's about as smooth as it gets with him on the mound, but Brash a little more herky-jerky, so it doesn't really work out too well with him trying to start. Another thing I was thinking about with this is not not just, okay, we found a place for Matt Brash, but it's also like how it sort of clears up the system a little bit, because then you could trade both Marco and Flexen if you want, or you have those two starters down in A, Emerson Hancock and Taylor Dollard, or even you could throw in Bryce Miller there too, that are a little more expendable as a trade piece because you have a young guy pre-arb in your rotation. You have three pre-arb guys in your rotation throwing 
And it's like, okay, we trust these guys. They're young, cheap, and under contract for a while now, and they all have well above average stuff. Okay, I think it is a little, we can be a little looser in our trade talks with Emerson Hancock, Taylor Dollard, and Bryce Miller. And if there's one thing that is more valuable than anything else in baseball today, it is young, major league ready pitching, which the Mariners potentially have three of them behind Matt Brash, if you were to be good. And if you were to be good, then you'd have four. So it would really put a bow tie on the Mariners draft and develop for a guy like Matt Brash. who wasn't very highly touted. That would be great. Obviously you'd want some rotational depth somewhere, but if Brash was as good as the present you're making him out to be the one you're trying to hypothetically give the Mariners here. I mean, yeah, there's your five starters for the next at least three to four years. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, yeah, like you said, you go, you need another bat or you need another piece in the outfield, whatever. You can go trade some of these minor league guys for major league pieces. That would be great, especially because mm-hmm. your rotation would be absolutely locked in. The only thing you'd ever really need is a re- is an injury replacement. And if you think about it, like what is more valuable, Matt Brash with a let's say a 2-5 ERA, because if we think about regression a full season, I'd say a 2-5 to 3 ERA in the bullpen is probably the area a good version of Matt Brash hangs around in the bullpen. Or would you take maybe a 3-8 to 4-2 ERA as a 5-starter? I mean, I feel like I'd take the 5-starter. Yeah, if that ERA equates to 2 to 2.5 wins, that's probably more than he's going to put up in the bullpen. So, absolutely. I mean, if you're putting up a 380 RA as a five starter with the way Brash can strike guys out and the stuff that he has, sign me right up. So for my free agent uh, profile here, say, or, all right, before I'll let you get that that line in here in a second, uh, I'm going to look this up here really quick, uh, just to put it in perspective of how much how many wins above replacement the best relievers in baseball get as the best year possible, right? can have about two and a half wins. Edwin Diaz this year, as I wait for this uh, fan graphs page to load here, some perspective, right? Edwin Diaz had one of the best reliever seasons of his career and all time through 62 innings, uh, an ERA of, uh, was extremely low, a one three one ERA. He was only worth three wins. And Matt Brash, if he puts up a three eight ERA and throws 150 innings at the back, back end of your rotation is easily worth three wins as well. So there you go. Go ahead, dog. Yeah. Like I said, sign me right up for Matt Brash being a viable starter. We know the Mariners still need bats. So the present I'm going to put under the Christmas tree for Seattle this off season is another bat. And yes, what you have left to pick out is not the same as it was just a few weeks ago, but there's still some serviceable bats out there. The Mariners need a right-handed hitting bat. One that's still out there that I think could work really well for this team is Will Myers, a guy who has been a pretty good bat most of his career. He's going to be fairly cheap. He can play first base. He can play the outfield. He can DH. So he's fairly versatile. But the biggest thing with him is he really crushes lefties. I mean, this past year, he put up a 130 WRC plus against lefties. So that's 30% better than league average for his career. He's put up a 119 WRC plus against lefties. So that's 19% above league average. His career OPS against lefties, it's over 800. If you're the Mariners and you're looking to not really open up your checkbooks all that much this winter, fill a need and improve your roster, 
he seems like a pretty good fit. I agree. And we're, we're lo- I'm looking at his defensive numbers too here. And, you know, overall, as long as you, you keep him at a center field, he's, you know, serviceable in the outfield, which is where you'd want him to play, right? You'd want him to mix in a little bit at DH. You'd want him to get out there in left field a little bit where for his career, he's a plus defender in left field. He's played just about a thousand innings in left field in his career. At this stage of his career, maybe not quite as good of a left fielder as he was younger. He played a lot more center field when he was younger and uh, and earlier on uh, when he was Tampa Bay Ray. Yeah, or uh, yeah, Padre at Tampa Bay Ray. His career has been all over the place, but I, you know, his defense is fine. And again, it doesn't even need to be good defense in the outfield. Really. (laughs) We sat through a whole season of Jesse Winker in left field. I think we'll take pretty much anything else in left field to get it done. And you all, you always have Jared out there in left, which we're planning because it it seems at this point, it is going to be someone to pair with Jared Kelnick in left field. That is what it's going to be. So you think, okay, who is someone who you could play out there on defense 30% of the time, right? When you really need a guy out there, when you can put an extra right-hand bat at DH, when there's a lefty on the hill that's really tough that you're going to sit Jared for, and you're going to want a righty in left field, and you're going to want a righty at DH. Okay, we don't know who that DH is yet. They could probably sign someone else, but uh, Will Myers would be a a good choice out there, I think. Um, And you're right, for his career, very, very good hitter, very productive. Seems like a seamless fit. We think Jared Kelnick's going to progress this year for a lot of reasons, and I think in future shows we may have some time to talk about that, one of them being that the shift is not going to be a thing anymore. So especially against righties, which is his much better side, there's no reason he can't hit righties. And then if you play Will Myers to his strength against lefties, seems like a pretty seamless platoon. The Mariners like their platoon at second base right now with Dylan Moore and Colton Wong. could be a similar story in left field. And especially because Myers shouldn't cost all that much money, I'm going to guess somewhere from eight to ten million dollars. I'd be really interested to see him here here in Seattle, and I think he would provide a nice boost to the lineup, like you talked about too. He's he, he can, you can slot him in a DH a little bit, but he can play some first base. Ty France needs some days off from first base, which he probably didn't get enough of this past year. You can put Myers at first. Right, and it wore him down. We saw it wear him down towards the end of the year. A couple mm-hmm. guys you had to play pretty much every day, Cal Raleigh and, and Ty France at first, because there's really not, not as much depth behind them to do. So, yeah, I I do like the idea of Will Myers. Um, and it's good, and he seems like a, a fun personality and, and, uh, and, a, and a good fit. So that would be good, and he's got the classic look with no, uh, no batting gloves on, which I think would work out uh, really well. So that would be good. I, I would... Uh, I would I would approve of that present. I think Jerry would be be happy with that. And he, as we think, works with the budget, I guess. We're we're thinking of what the budget is right now and how much Jerry how much wiggle room Jerry has left on his off season, you know, spending sheet for this. And you would think eight to ten million dollars would be right within the budget, as we're assuming right now, but who knows? We don't know the books. But that'd be good. Will Myers uh, in left field. Another guy who could be a left fielder as we look at our free agent profile of the week. Former White Sox outfielder A.J. Pollock Lyle is a similar profile, a little bit better defense, a little bit more speed, even though it's been trending in the wrong direction as he ages. But another guy who hits left-handers supremely well 
and a guy who's just a year removed from one of the best seasons of his career, A.J. Pollock. I'm a big fan of what he could bring to this team. Very similar to Will Myers. He's a little bit older, that being Pollock, just because he's in his mid-30s now. Myers is closer to his early 30s. But Pollock hits lefties, and if the Mariners really want to platoon out in left field, he'd be the right guy for it. His season as a whole was not great, but when he was facing lefties this past year, he was really good. He put up a 935 OPS versus left-handed pitching. I mean, who's going to complain about that? So my only thing with A.J. Pollock, we're here talking about monetary dollars. He turned down a $13 million player option, which made me raise an eyebrow here. Maybe he envisioned the market would be a little more favorable to him and someone would want him as a bounce-back candidate. But he he declined a $13 million player option for a $5 million buyout and opted to hit free agency. Maybe he didn't like the White Sox. I I honestly don't know. He was traded there right before opening day of last year uh, for Craig Kimbrell, part of that trade. And he was relatively healthy this past year, but sort of an underwhelming season at the plate. He only had a 92 WRC plus overall, didn't even slug 400. And this is a guy a year removed from a... 291, uh, or sorry, 297, 355, 538 slash line and a tied career high in home runs. I mean, that's sort of the upside you're buying into. There have been times in the past, too, where the Mariners have taken chances on guys who were coming off a down year, and it worked. Pollock could be a guy just like that, especially because his track record is really good the last five seasons. I mean, before 2022, He had had an 800 OPS or better in four or five seasons. And the only time he didn't reach 800 was 2019. He was at 795. He's been a pretty consistent bat most of his career. He is likely not a guy where you're kind of up in the air about him. You don't know what you're going to get. No, you know that AJ Pollock's going to put together good at bats. He's going to provide some pop. He can hit lefties. And again, he's probably not going to cost a lot. It's a guy that is he going to wow anybody if they sign him? No. Is he going to put up a six-win season? No. But he can provide some value to this team and add some offense, which they currently need. Yeah, I think so too. And another plus, maybe because the fact he'd be willing to sign, I mean, he already signed, signed once as a free agent on the West Coast. And he spent all but one season of his career in the Western part of the United States. He started his first handful of seasons with the Arizona Diamondbacks, his first seven years to be exactly 2012 to 2018 with the Diamondbacks, and then three years with the Dodgers where he had three pretty good seasons. So there's just a lot of, you know, there's a lot of easy links, I guess, with the Mariners and A.J. Pollock, which I'd like to see at this point of his career. used to be a center fielder, but would be more than welcome to playing a corner outfield spot. Um, looking at his defense, it's a little, I guess, interesting. Outs above average doesn't really like him that much. His defensive runs saved in left, fi- uh, left field, actually. 752 innings in left field this past year was plus four defensive runs saved, so slightly above average out there in left. So you could have two plus defenders in left, a plus defender in center, and then Teoscar Hernandez in right. It's just, yeah. But, you know, I think you would be okay with that, right, if, if that was the defense you were getting. The good news is the Mariners need a left fielder. Center field, they've got that covered. Right field, they've got that covered with Teoscar Hernandez. What they're looking for is somebody to platoon with Jared Kelnick. That's going to be the left fielder. 
So the good news is, does Pollock profile well in the other two spots? No, at least not defensively. He profiles well enough in left field where he can hold his own out there. If his defensive runs saved or still in the positive, I think you have to take that and put it right in your back pocket because you're not asking him to win a gold glove. You're just asking him to not be Jesse Winker out there. And he can definitely definitely play some serviceable left field. So I think that's a positive for the Mariners, especially because, again, fitting the narrative here, along with everything we've already talked about with him, he shouldn't be that expensive. I know you said he turned down the $13 million player option. That is kind of a head scratcher. I would guess now he'd probably get maybe half of that. I'm guessing somewhere from 6 to $8 million. It's a little puzzling, yeah. Again, maybe he just didn't like Chicago. Again, he spent most of his career on the West Coast, so maybe he just wasn't a huge fan of Chicago. Another kind of red flag I saw with A.J. Paul, he said three hamstring injuries over the last two seasons. He only missed 10 days with a hamstring injury last year, but multiple hamstring injuries over the course of two seasons, and that's not really the type of stuff that goes away as you get older, so that's something to to keep an eye on with, uh, with A.J. Pollock. But if we're, again, just talking about fit with A.J. Pollock, I, I like the idea of A.J. Pollock in uh, in left field. One more point to make here before we wrap this segment up. Mm-hmm. If they are still interested in a Brian Reynolds trade, where which it sounds like from what we heard this past week, they are, they could sign A.J. Pollock to a one-year deal. And if they trade for Brian Reynolds, Pollock can still be a really good bench bat. So even if he is signed with the idea of platooning him with Kelnick, If you go and get Brian Reynolds, Pollock can still come off the bench and provide you some good at-bats. So there's a lot of different Mm -hmm. things he could do for this team if they decide to sign him to a contract. Or why don't you just stick him at DH? That too. Who's who's starting DH on opening day right now? Is it Sam Haggerty? (laughs) That's exactly what I'm saying. You you don't have a DH. So I don't know if we're really at the point where we're going to be like, well, it's not really a fit on the roster. It's like, well, there's a gaping hole at DH right now. It's a shame that there's, it, Abe's not there to take any at-bats now. Oh, yeah, Easy I'm fix. shedding a tear. <laughs> Easy fix. Easy fix. Look, this is where we're at in the offseason. You're not going to sign any MVPs at this point, but you can still get some value. AJ Pollock could be a guy who provides exactly that. Let's transition here into our MLB wraparound. Our first topic here, TJ, things have gotten a little bit interesting today specifically. Shortly after we got off the air last week, Carlos Correa signed with the Dodgers. He inked a huge contract, 13 years, $350 million. All of a sudden today, when he was scheduled to have his press conference, it was all of a sudden postponed because now there's a medical red flag. First off, what did you think of the contract? And two... What do you make of this recent news? Uh, my thoughts on the contract. Holy shit, that's a long contract and a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> something the Mariners are never going to do. Uh, absolutely. They're never under with this regime. They will never sign a 13 year contract. I mean, they'll probably never sign a guy to. I mean, I know Julio's contract is long. That's sort of the exception there. They're never going to sign a free agent to a 13 year contract. Wow. I know the the Giants went into this offseason with the plan to spend money. They were going to give a boatload of money to, it sounds like, one of two guys. They were either going to back up the Brinks truck for Aaron Judge, or they were going to take that money if they didn't get Judge and go get Carlos Correa, and that's exactly what they did. So they did what they wanted to. 
Brandon Belt's eight or Brandon Belt, Brandon Crawford's aging at shortstop too. So a guy that could be the face of their franchise and a team that has plenty of money to spend, they actually go spend it. But that really made me raise my eye because it is not official. It is not. Right? If it was official, they would have had their press conference earlier today, about three hours before the press conference. Giants PR sent out an email. I saw a screenshot of it on Twitter. It was one sentence. There was no intro. There was no outro. It was literally, today's press conference is postponed. That's it. And there's some uh, there's some some inklings on it that, that, you're right, there's a red flag. And I'm trying to think. So whenever we hear a red flag with a physical, it's almost always pitchers. Almost always pitchers. Because it's either something in their elbow or something in their shoulder, which would prevent them from throwing long term. But position players? Like, what could it be? I'm guessing it's shoulder? Right? You would think? Because that's something that would shoulder or back, maybe? I was going to say, if you remember, a few years ago, he had some back issues that caused him to miss some time back when he was in Houston. I don't know if that's what it is or not. But yeah, that would be a little concerning. Could you imagine Giants fans this winter, though, if they go from Arson Judge to Carlos Correa (laughs) being a Giant and then not being a Giant? Yeah, the deal falls through because of medicals. I mean, wouldn't you still have to sign him, though? Yeah. I mean, how could you let him walk out of the building at that point? I like cut some guaranteed money off the contract. I don't like you can't just let the guy walk because then you're you no. you end up empty handed because you could have signed anyone else. But you chose to go after Correa and the medical scare you off. I mean, this is some like NFL stuff where this like mm-hmm. or this happens. It's it's crazy, really. And the, the thing is, Carlos Correa is coming off three of the healthiest seasons of his career. Yeah, this man in in 2016, uh, I think it was 2016, 20, 15 or 16 played 150 games, and then the the last three years he played 58 of 60 games in the pandemic season. He played 148 games in 2021, and then in 2022, this past season played 136. You take that. He's been in the lineup that, again. More, um, more reliable than most shortstops in baseball in terms of showing up the last three years. And this just shocked me. I'm like, wow, just to cancel the press conference. I mean, it's that it's that serious. You can't where you literally can't say this is done. I'll be interested to see how all this unfolds because the giants know that they need Carlos Correa, especially after losing out on judge. They need a face of that team. They need a guy who's going to anchor the offense Signing Mitch Haniger is great, and as we know, he is a very, very productive outfield bat, but he's not Carlos Correa. And whatever medical concern you have with him, you still better do whatever it takes if you're the Giants to keep him in San Francisco, because I would guess whatever this injury is, is not going to hamper his career for 13 seasons. So do what it takes to keep him there, because he is arguably the best shortstop in baseball. I'm going to give a shout out to Correa for for doing when everyone's everyone looks at Aaron Judge with the ultimate bet on yourself thing this past season where he literally you mean he he turned down an extension from the Yankees went out and had one of the 10 best offensive seasons the hitters ever had at the plate you could argue and he cashed in big this offseason and then Correa essentially did the same thing. The Astros offered him a five-year, $160 million deal last season, an AAV of 32. He turns that essentially, 
if you include what he made with the Twins this offseason after he walked from Houston, a 14-year, $385.1 million deal. It's pretty good. You know the real reason that he took that deal in Minnesota, right? Because there was no market last year. I think the bigger reason is because he changed agents in the middle of last offseason and just recently hired Scott Boris. Oh, what I remember right. reading too. La- what I remember reading last year was if Correa had signed some mega deal last winter, it wasn't Boris that got a big chunk of the deal. And Scott Boris basically sold Carlos Correa on the idea of just take a short deal this winter, opt out after one year, have a good season, and I will get you significantly more money. And to be fair, he did. So, you know, we roll our eyes at Scott Boris because he can be kind of infuriating to deal with. And I'm sure for teams he is too. But he is very, very good at his job. He is. And again, congrats to Carlos Correa. That is only the second 13-year deal in baseball history. A guy who uh, signed a almost half as long contract. But we got pretty close with this one. Dan Smith Swanson signs a seven-year, $177 million deal with the Chicago Cubs on Saturday. If you want to listen to what we had to say on Dansby Swanson, uh, it was in episode four of our of uh, this podcast and our free agent preview, so we don't have to go really into, into any of his numbers. But this is a, a pretty reasonable deal for both sides and one where I could probably say it's a win-win for both. Finally. I mean, how long did we have to wait around this winter to see a reasonable contract? For Dansby Swanson, this is actually what he's worth. Is he as good as guys like Trey Turner and Carlos Correa? Probably not, but he is very good. He had a huge walk here, and he got market value. Seven years for $177 million is what he's worth. So it was just a little refreshing to see somebody get a reasonable deal. 25.2% aav over seven years so he'll be a free agent again when he's 35 so he could sign another contract if he does well on this and they other teams think he aged well but my question with the cubs is they had this money to sign dansby swanson but they decided not to sign wilson Contreras. you could you could argue is a better player i don't know what the story is there because they didn't sign any of those core guys from that world series team which was always interesting to me but they had a needed shorts. I don't know. I mean, to be fair, that Chris Bryant contract's not really working out so far. I mean, it's only been one year, but he was really injured. Rizzo's been pretty good in New York. Javi Baez has not been very good in Detroit. Maybe they saw something. Maybe Jed Hoyer preferred a guy like Dansby Swanson to some of the core of that old team. Could be. I guess. I mean, but of all those guys, would you choose Dansby first? I mean, now maybe, uh, you know, if hindsight was twenty twenty, I'd probably say no. I, I'd probably rather have Wilson Contreras, just to be honest. Better hitter, you know, both playing are the two most valuable defensive positions. You could argue Dansby's a better shortstop than Contreras as a catcher. I know the Contreras brothers aren't really known for their defense that much, but having a hitting catcher is pretty valuable and you know, Wilson Contreras isn't signed for an absurd amount of money. Five years, $87.5 million. It's 17 and a half a year. It's <laughs> it's not that bad for the Cubs who draw really well and are, or a big market as much as they like to say they're not as big of a market as people think. So, 
there's that to think about. There is, but that middle infield in Chicago is all of a sudden going to be pretty good because Nico Horner had a great year last year. He slides over to second base. Dansby's going to play short. So the Cubs do get better, even if they lose Contreras. They still upgrade their roster. So that should provide some pop both on offense and some really high-quality defense. It also just made sense for both sides between the Cubs really needing a shortstop. They wanted to bring in a star. Dansby's looking around at the market. That was one of the few teams left that needed a guy at the sixth slot. Also, his wife plays professional soccer in Chicago. There were just a lot of reasons that was a fit. I wasn't that Mm -hmm. shocked to see him go to the Cubs. Uh, Lyle, if this was the Mariners, would you approve this deal? Yes. I mean, I had to think about it there for a second, but for $25 million a year, I think I would. Because what they say is, one war equates to about $8 million. So to be fair, Mm -hmm. if Dansby Swanson put up about three wins a year over the course of seven years for the Mariners, he would live up to the contract. And I think he can do that. From from a starting shortstop, that's not too much to ask for when you're playing. Mm -hmm. And you're already a good defender. That that alone is worth about two wins. So you add on a little bit of offensive – as well and bam there you go that's three wins so I don't I don't think it's the I would also say yes especially since it's seven years and he's only going to be 34 uh, 35 he will end it in his age 34 season which is reasonable right that's that's nothing the other four guys are all going to be 40 the other three guys are all going to be 40 when they're done a lot of reasons to like that contract moving on to the next guy Carlos Rodon Rodon goes to the Yankees For six years at $162 million. Man, this Yankees rotation, with the snap of a finger, just went from good to great. Yeah. Facing him in the playoffs is going to be a pain. It's going to be a pain in the ass. You're you're going Cole game one, Rodon game two, Cortez game three. And then some combination of of Severino maybe in game four, or maybe they signed someone else to start. But man, I mean... They have put the the Yankees have put uh, their checkbooks and really flex it by signing Aaron Judge to a historic deal, and now Carlos Rodon gets the contract he's you know graciously waited for, and his injury riddled career finally gets two good back to back seasons, and a team finally drops a bag on his front door, and um you know it's really good for him that he's going to get twenty seven million dollars a year. So the Yankees now have guaranteed over $500 million this offseason, which is sort of a ho-hum offseason for them. (laughs) What a change in narrative for the Yankees. A couple weeks ago, we were saying this team might miss the playoffs if they lose Aaron Judge because we said if they don't have Aaron Judge on this team, I don't think they're a playoff team. Well, now all of a sudden between bringing Judge back and a one through four in that rotation that's really, really good. Cole, Rodon, Cortez, Severino, like you said. They, they've they got a little bit of thump in that team again. Like, they provide a little bit of fear into an opponent's eye. I never thought they had much of a chance against the Astros this past year, even though they got to the ALCS. Now, all of a sudden, they're, they're pretty scary. We always talk about the Mariners catching the Astros. It, this is the Yankees' move to catch the Astros, because now you can legitimately look at them in a playoff series and think, well... If we're starting Cole and Rodon four of the seven games, we like our chances. No matter what our lineup looks like outside of Aaron Judge, I think you'd have to like that. And I, 
you know, I agree. And that's probably their line of thinking when they go with Rodon. It's a shame he's going to have to shave. He usually has a pretty good mustache going, uh, Rodon does. But you know what? Nonetheless, the Yankees, they've signed Judge, Rodon. uh, They re-signed Rizzo as well. So, you know, they're sort of running it back plus Rodon. And that's probably the right idea there in the Bronx. So good for Carlos Rodon. A deal that really shocked me. Rodon's deal didn't. This deal did. Andrew Benintendi, we thought was going to get a probably a two-year deal, but shows you how plugged in we are to the industry. Five years, $75 million for Andrew Benintendi to go to the Chicago White Sox, essentially taking A.J. Pollock's spot after he walks. The largest free agent signing in Chicago White Sox history. Just another cheap franchise. $75 million is your biggest contract ever over the course of five years. It's pretty remarkable, especially because they're in a big market. I know they're the secondary team in Chicago, but you're still in Chicago. It's not like you don't have money. Meanwhile, pairing that with the, pairing that with the fact that Andrew Benintendi is a good player, but not a guy I'd want to give that type of deal to. I don't know. It's a head scratcher all around. It's not like you have a poor owner either. Jerry Reinsdorf <laughs> owns the Bulls. Like, what are we talking about? Uh, and they just said, I remember when they set the record with Grandall a couple of years ago. And I was like, made me raise an eyebrow. I was like, oh, okay. And then they break it again. It's like, oh, $75 million. And again, we have our complaints about the Mariners, but there are some teams that they that make the Mariners look like the Los Angeles Dodgers and the New York Mets. I mean, it is uh, it is really incredible. So it'll be interesting to see how Benintendi fits there. I would imagine his power is going to go up a little bit. The, uh, the You know, the baseball savant home run predictors by ballpark. They would double his home run total, Benintendi's, if he went from uh, where he played this past season, Kansas City and New York, to Chicago from 5 to 10. He had a career-low power output. But they like his value. He still had a WRC plus of 122 last year while only hitting five home runs, which is pretty impressive. It shows you how well the rest of his offensive profile was. So this is pretty good for them, uh, a much-needed addition there in the outfield. And when you look at his OPS plus from last year, it was the second-highest mark of his career. It was 120, so 20% above league average. The only year he was better than that was 2018. I just worry... I guess with playing in Chicago, it should help his power numbers. But he also had some very down years before this season. So I don't know. Again, there's a reason that we had our questions when this contract was signed because a guy that has not exactly had the most lucrative offensive profile for his career getting a five-year deal like this seems a little bit much. But maybe playing in Chicago can help his offense because I, I just sat there and thought, Again, he's he's mostly he's mostly a contact guy. Like he is not right. gonna he is not gonna fill in for Jose Abreu's shoes, right? So five year deal. I'll be interested to see how that one plays out. I would not have given him that deal if I was Seattle. Yeah, I wasn't gonna give him a five year deal either. I I think it would have been okay because there's still a little bit too much strikeout in the Mariners lineup. <laughs> Julio strikes out a bit, Cal strikes out, Suarez strikes out, etc. You can go down the line, right? With a little bit, uh, Ty when he struggles strikes out a lot, and Benintendi would bounce, sort of balance that out a little a bit if he was going to come in. But you know, again, the profile is just not great. It it's not it's not one that necessarily ages 
great. I mean, no offensive profile really ages great unless you're Barry Bonds and you eat a balanced breakfast. But alas, five years was probably a little much. The AAV, I would have been like, well, of course you do that deal. But $75 million over five years. Hmm. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I'm okay. Spend some more money, White Sox. That should not be your biggest contract. And that's how we'll wrap that segment up. Let's transition now into Speak Your Mind. Speak your mind, Spock. That would be unwise. What is necessary is never unwise. Well, TJ, what's been going on in your life in the last week? What have you been thinking about? All right, well, I have a couple things that are really intrigued me slash pissed me off. I think you know what one of them was. I I sort of broke it down for you this morning, but I'll reiterate it uh, for this podcast. I mean, I want to just give a shout out to scammers. You guys have gotten really, really, really good. I mean, I'm going to give you a hat tip. I got a text this morning. It, It is it's Christmas season, right? So you're ordering stuff and it's getting shipped places now. I wake up to go to work at about eight o'clock in the morning. I work in radio and I don't work morning shifts, so I don't have to get up that early. So if those of you wondering why I'm slacking, I'm not. Anyways, I wake up and I get a text. I, I had um, some some background. I bought my dad a couple of Christmas presents from a website and they were being shipped. And one had just shipped the day before because I'd gotten an email notification I'm like, okay. So I wake up and I see this text in my phone that was like, Oh, you, you've inputted the wrong... Ad- we can't deliver to this address. You'll need to re-input it. So like, huh. Okay. Groggy-eyed before coffee in the morning, of course. So so I open it up, and it is a very legit-looking USPS website. I mean, about as legit as it can look. I mean, it, it was, you know, copyright, USPS, everything. I'm like, wow, this looks, this looks like the USPS website. And I got duped. It was was not great. And I, <laughs> I have a new credit card coming for me on uh, Friday because that was uh, uh, don't don't ever put your information into those things. Just please don't. They, they, they will let you know if, if you screwed up. Don't don't do it, please. To, uh, don't don't be like me. It just really it really threw a wrench into my day. And I was I was pissed off for most of the morning. So that's one. But the thing that really caught my eye this week, Lyle, you saw this and this sort of surfaced on Twitter over the weekend, which really made me laugh. So there's this Chiefs fan, the the Kansas City Chiefs called Chiefsaholic. He dresses up in a full wolf costume and goes to every single game he has season tickets. And he's very active on Twitter. He live tweets through the whole game, yada, yada, yada. So he went quiet on Twitter. And the, the Chiefs were in Houston this past weekend playing the Texans. And people were like, is this dude okay? So some people went looking for him, and they're, they're, they're trying to figure out where he is. And he, and he hadn't tweeted anything since December 16th, which was Friday, and he said he was going to go to the game on Sunday, which was the 18th. So people were doing some research, yada, yada, yada. Um, and some people did enough digging, and they find out he was arrested for a bank robbery on Friday morning. So some context of this um, – so he apparently had been robbing banks for quite a while to fund his season tickets and his gambling on the Kansas City Chiefs. And th- there was another picture that popped up here on um, on Twitter that we saw. 
that was him robbing a bank in the same wolf's mask that he would wear to the stadium with the same red hat on top. And I was like, oh my goodness. And where he was arrested in Bixley, uh, I think it is Bigsby, Bixby, which place is this? It is called a tiny town in Oklahoma. Where is it? Bixby? Uh, Somewhere in Oklahoma. Yeah, Bixby, Oklahoma. There we go. Which is directly on the way from Kansas City to Houston, where he was driving for the weekend. So he must have uh, thought he would cash up a little bit to uh, to to go to the ball to the stadium. I thought that was hilarious. I could not believe that that was a real story, but it seems like it actually was real that a guy would rob banks to fund to be a and also manage to be a public fig uh, public Twitter figure of an NFL team. I thought that was hilarious. And then, and then the wolf mass bank robbery was the, the, the cherry on top. I was just waiting to see something get released that this story was fake and it never was. I don't know how. I, I mean, and, and the fact he was wearing the full costume is just nuts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was fantastic. Well, maybe that can be, Maybe it can be the Chiefsaholic curse this weekend if the Seahawks get a victory over Kansas City somehow. Somehow, yeah, it could be. Man, they could they could use that. Uh, the the good vibe. If imagine if he was like driving on his way to Seattle too. Hopefully, he wouldn't rob a Seattle bank. That would be uh, unfortunate. Yeah. But yeah, maybe he'll send uh, the Seahawks some good luck from jail since the Chiefs didn't uh, try and bail him out. I think his bond set <laughs> at two hundred k, Lyle. If you want to start a GoFundMe. Yeah, I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can help too much with that one. I don't know about you. It's on your mind, buddy. Okay, so I've got two things. One, with it being the holiday season, I don't really know what to ask for as like presents for the holidays. This has happened a few years in a row, and I don't know if this is an age thing or if it's just me. But when people ask what do you want, I just don't really have answers, and I don't know if I'm alone in that or not. I don't think you're alone in that, but like, cause like when we're young, we want toys, right? But like toys now are like, oh, cool. I got a new like lamp for my desk. It looks super cool. So when I get home, I'm like, wow, that looks fantastic. But that's why I always just say, yeah, just give me like money or something so I can go buy something myself that I see. Cause I honestly don't know what you're going to buy me. Yeah. And that's what I kind of default to, but I just feel like I'm in a rut because I get asked, Every year, oh, do you want anything? And I was like, and I'm always like, well, not that I can think of off the top of my head. So I'm glad to hear it's not just a me thing. And, and maybe it's an age thing with being in your 20s. Uh, and my second thing is I got knocked out of our fantasy football playoffs this past week. And that was a real shame. What makes it even better is who I lost to. Because if you're listening to this podcast, you might know who he is. Uh I lost to Matt Scheffler in fantasy football, who, if you don't know who he is and you don't follow Mariners minor leaguers, he's currently a catcher in the Mariners system. It was his second year in the system. He just finished up a season in AA Arkansas. Uh, He's a longtime friend of mine. We play in a fantasy football league together. I lost. My team totally flopped. It didn't have a great first week. We play in two-week-long playoffs. And then for the final week of the semifinal, it went even worse. So... Yeah, I was a little pissed off to lose. He wasn't shy to let me hear about it. And he left a comment on our 
Instagram page too, saying, say something about fantasy football. So this is me acknowledging that I lost. Well, I'm glad you came clean and acknowledged it, Lyle, because the thing about my fantasy leagues, I got knocked out in the first round and won, and then two of them I was terrible. You know one of them. I'm legitimately tanking. I have the number one pick in our dynasty league. You're not in the dynasty league, but the rest of our friends, I tanked, and I won one game all year. Uh, I am the uh, I am currently slated for the number one pick in another league I'm in with my brother. I, was, uh, I think I won three games, even though I think I outscored the people in the playoffs above me, which was really unfortunate, but uh, all part of fantasy football, unfortunately, I just need to, uh, I need to draft better. I need to pay attention more during the week. I mean, I'm probably the least active person on fantasy football during the week. I mean, I legitimately won't look at my team from Monday till Saturday night. So uh, maybe, maybe occasionally on Thursday at like four 30. Yeah, I mean, for me, I went 10-3 and three regular season. I finished first in the league, but that went out the door real quick because well, that's even two worse. weeks went by and I'm done. Is this the 2QB league? It is a 2QB league. So Mahomes had a good week, but nobody else did. So It's a shame. Yeah, how about Mahomes this week? Man, he was good. He well, that All-time performance, really. But couldn't, uh-huh. couldn't carry your team, unfortunately, there, buddy. I know. So another year bad out. You hate to see it. That'll just about wrap us up here on the Marine Layer Podcast for this week. If you want to see more of our content, well, there's a bunch of ways you can follow us. If you want the audio podcast in full version, you can subscribe or listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want the video version, you can watch on YouTube. And for our short form content, we're we're on a bunch of different places. Instagram, TikTok, YouTube Shorts, and we're on Twitter. Give us a follow on all those accounts at Marine Layer Pod. For TJ Matthewson, this is Lyle Goldstein. As always, we thank you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.